the borders are open and Australia is welcoming people. But for some of you, you might be thinking, yeah, but I'm still not sure about this immigration system and I've got some burning questions that I need to understand before I make that decision that it's time to apply. Today, I'm going to cover off some of those questions. As the former Australian immigration official and the CEO and founder of Solby Migration, I'm here to tell you about the ins and outs of the immigration system and how to navigate it so that you can come to the land down under and lead a really exciting life here. I love multiculturalism, so please, please don't give up. Come on down where it will be all the better for having you here. And you will get to enjoy our wonderful sandy beaches and the wildlife that we have here. So please buckle up and listen in. And, of course, at the end of the show, I will be uh, sharing a little bonus for those guests who want to start planning their migration pathway to Australia. So... Let's get on with this 11th episode of Making Australian Migration Easy. Hi, I'm Rhea Favole, CEO and founder of Solby Migration, providing simple solutions for Australian migration. If you want to work, study, or even just vacay in Australia, then you've come to the right place for expert tips on how to stop the confusion and choose the right pathway for a holiday, student visa, or permanent residency in Australia. Join me on Making Australian Migration Easy. As we say in Australia, no worries, mate. Last week, I talked to you about some of the exciting changes that are coming to migration space in Australia this year, in 2023. And I covered off things like the changes to the student visa requirements, uh, with, where they're scrapping the temporary entrant requirement uh, in lieu of a new genuine student test, uh, which should make things a little more straightforward for people who want to come and study as international students in Australia. Uh, I then also talked about some of the exciting changes in terms of the minimum wage increase for people coming in on the uh, subclass 482 temporary skilled visa uh, and also the permanent pathways that will be available to anyone on those uh, visas by the end of this year and finally I talked about the pathways uh, that will now be available from 1 July for uh, New Zealand citizens to more seamlessly become Australian citizens as well. This week I would like to focus on um, some of those burning questions that people might have and the areas that I'm going to cover off is, I guess, how people decide what kind of visa they should be applying for. Uh, and, of course, there's always the question, why can't I just submit the paperwork afterwards? I put in the application, you know, they can ask me some um, more questions and then I'll, I'll put in more documents after that. And then the golden question for each stage of the various processes, how long will it take? I hope to unpack some of that for you in this episode. Australia does have a very strong immigration uh, system and we are founded on migration, so it's no surprise there. Uh, part of that means that there's lots of requirements that sometimes can seem a little overwhelming to someone who hasn't yet come over here and got their visa. So today I'm going to cover off the key things that people would like to know about and that's going to include how you decide what type of visa you should be applying for and then I'm also going to talk about, uh, you know, 
when you need to submit documents and the importance of why you need to submit them at certain points of the uh, uh, visa application process. And then finally, explaining a little bit about the timeframes to manage your expectations with the visa processes in Australia. So let's begin. Okay, so the first topic that I'd like to cover off is deciding which visa you're going to need to apply for. And it can sometimes seem overwhelming because we do have around uh, 140 different visa subclasses. There's lots of little three-digit numbers um, in our migration program in Australia. There are different streams uh, that you need to be broadly aware of when you're deciding to migrate. Are you coming with your uh, skills, you've got skills, or you need to come to Australia to study, to get skills, or perhaps you've got family members here that you're coming to be with. It could be a partner, um, parents, children, and so on. Uh, or you may just want to come for a visit uh, or may have some temporary work that you're going to do. So it will be really important that you understand what are going to be your overall immigration goals with Australia. If you're just coming for a short visit um, to you know, see some friends or do some sightseeing, then a subclass 600 tourist visa is going to be perfect for that. And for young people aged 18 to 30, so up to 35, depending on the country, I know in previous episodes I've talked about the working holiday. And there's two different subclasses for that, depending on which passport you hold. So that's one that I'm going to focus on when I'm talking about planning pathway, because I think it provides a really good example of some mistakes that people can make um, that can mean it extends the time and makes it more difficult and they may take longer to be able to then migrate because they hadn't planned from the beginning. So if you come here, for example, on a working holiday, brilliant, you've had um, up to a year's worth of experience, you may have gone and done some farm work for four months during that year, and so then you can apply for your um, second working holiday visa. You can repeat doing that for up to three years under the current framework, as long as you're doing that farm work in between. The problem that I see with a, a number of clients, and I know other colleagues will have this, you may have already finished qualifications before you came to Australia on your working holiday, but then you didn't have an opportunity to really have a lot of work experience in that field. And then you've come to Australia and you've worked in a range of different jobs and you may have bonded with that employer in that work environment. You thought, fantastic, I would love to stay and do that. And maybe you found an employer that relates to your qualifications. But because you had worked in a range of different areas, you don't yet have the required work experience to then convert that to a skilled visa. So even if you have an employer who wants to sponsor you, what I commonly see is because people hadn't sort of matched up uh, their qualifications with the type of work that they were doing when they were in Australia, their skills assessments were not going to be found to be positive, which meant they couldn't be sponsored for visas at that point. What that then meant is that they would need to look to other temporary visas to try and get more work experience in that field, or perhaps they may have done studies in a different area and they're going to need to study again. So I use this as a really good example for the importance of planning your migration pathway because there's often 
people who will have this situation. You come, you spend the time, you find what you like. So completely understandable. But you do need to be very mindful that while you're looking for those opportunities and experiences and you're here in that temporary capacity, keeping a mind to this next job that I'm taking, does this align with the qualifications that I have? And also, are my qualifications that I already have on a skilled shortage list on one of the skilled lists in Australia for migration. So if you have already done qualifications that you know are on a, um, a skills list for migration to Australia, then focus on your work also continuing to be in line with that so that when it comes to skills assessments, you've got a good migration pathway. This is why a lot of people will talk to uh, people like myself and my colleagues and other uh, immigration uh, lawyers and migration agents to make sure they're understanding, okay, so I'm coming to Australia and I know I've got this temporary visa and it gives me a, a chance to work and travel, but where to next? Because a lot of people will fall in love with it once they're here. <laughs> Let's face it, who doesn't want to have those sandy beaches and, you know, fantastic lifestyle and experiences here? Please just keep that in mind. The next thing is getting the wrong visa may take you down the wrong pathway. So you may be eligible for a certain visa. For example, I'm seeing a lot of people right now uh, who are wrapping up being on the COVID visas, which is the subclass 408, which was a visa that was basically being used during the pandemic for people who were you know, in the country and needed to maintain their lawful status and be able to continue working. Now, as we're moving away from uh, the pandemic, uh, those people are now in a situation where they may have just stayed here and again, like the working holidays, not had work experience in the right area or with an employer who has no capacity to sponsor them. So you always need to have in mind where you're going to next and whether or not what you're doing is going to uh, get you to your end goal. Is when you have those opportunities, like for example, being on the uh, on a working holiday, that's the one example that I had there, and then the COVID visa, which is the um, subclass 408, or there's another visa which is called the, the graduate visa, the subclass 485. So a lot of people will come study as international students, so they're on the subclass 500 visa in Australia in order to be able to study. Then once you finish your studies, in order to get work experience in your field for skilled migration, people will go on to that subclass 485 graduate visa. A common mistake I see, though, again, without planning, people go, great, I've got my visa, I can stay, I've got a job. What they forgot to look at was, is the job that they're doing aligned to the study that they just did? So often people will just go and take a job, and the problem with that is that visa has a certain period of time that you're meant to be using to solidify your skills in the field that you have studied so that you have your pathway for migration. So you can't get that visa again. And that's that's where I see the problems uh, coming unstuck for some people because most of them will be on it anywhere from 18 months to, to two years. Some of them will be getting a longer period now with, with recent changes. 
But if you don't use that time effectively to go and work in your chosen profession that you have just done your studies in Australia, then you're jeopardising your migration pathway. Because at the end of that visa, if you haven't yet had the work experience that's required to create the skilled pathway, you can't get that visa again. Um, so it's kind of a wasted opportunity. So just some things to keep in, in mind when you're, when you're planning your migration. Um, you know, and if you do have, for example, um, you end up in a relationship with someone who is an Australian citizen or permanent resident, in some cases there's some eligible uh, New Zealand citizens who can sponsor uh, for a partner visa. Um, sometimes that may present an alternative to the skilled pathway that people had in mind in the first place. Um, just being aware of the requirements though and, and when those different visas become appropriate. So those are some things to, to think of. The, the immigration website does have a, a visa wizard where you can sort of plug in what your goals are and it will give you options that you can um, look at based on that, for which subclasses you might go to. Um, but I would say when you're looking at that, don't just look at your immediate need. Look at what is your overall goal um, for migration in Australia. And so you look at what that end goal, where you want to be, if it's permanent residency, okay, which visa options, am I eligible yet? And if you're not, what steps do I need to take on my migration pathway in terms of either studies or getting the right kind of work experience to make sure that I am heading towards that pathway? Topic two, documentation for evidence. So it can be a little bit confusing. And this is where, again, professional assistance can be helpful for you. I have seen a number of mistakes where they're innocent mistakes, but it can have consequences for your um, migration journey in Australia. So an example that I will give for that is there's a difference for what they call time of application and time of decision requirements. So for some visas, you could lodge the application and then you can wait for the visa decision maker to make a request for further information to submit that. One example would be for health examinations. Visas that require health examinations, you can usually submit the application and then they will start processing what information they have. When it comes to the stage that they're getting ready to make a decision, they'll then send you a request for further information to go and get the health assessment done. And then you can go and book in and get that health assessment done. So that is what we would call a, an example of a time of decision requirement, that you meet that requirement before the visa can be decided on. There's another one which comes before that, which is time of application. So really important, some visas, the documents are required at the time of application. And I'll give an example with the subclass 485 graduate visa. At the time you lodge the application, you must also have your police check done. So that you need to have submitted your Australian Federal Police Check, the, the correct one that immigration requires. There's different types of police checks and it's very specific. That is the time of application requirement. So in this example, if someone had failed to include 
that police application at the time, then they haven't met the requirements for the time of application, which means it can be refused. If you get a nice case manager, they might contact you and let you know and you can withdraw the application and do it again, but they're not obligated to do that. And more often than not, what you'll find out is you haven't met the time of application requirements. Um, that becomes a problem because with the example of a subclass 485, many of the applicants, they've finished studying internationally uh, here in Australia, so they're still in Australia when they lodge that application. So if you have a visa refused when you are here, what that does is to correct it, you may want to go and lodge an appeal, which means you need to pay expensive fees to um, lodge a, a request for review with the currently the Administrative uh, Appeals Tribunal. Be another tribunal soon, these changes keep happening. Um, or you may need to depart Australia to lodge a fresh application out of the country, wait for it to be granted, then to come back. These are these kind of technical difficulties that people can get into where they haven't understood the importance of certain documents or just missed including that document. Um, so I did want to talk about the importance of that. Uh, another example that I see quite commonly is people who want to um, put in an expression of interest for a state nominated visa, so for the state and territory program, which is under the general skilled migration. It has it, like a point system. You need to have a minimum of 65 points in most circumstances for, for that. Also, 65 or above. You'll always need a minimum of 65, but sometimes above that. The issue that we see quite commonly is um, people not having had their skills assessment finalised. So even if you had an occupation that outside of the general skilled migration program, so for example, if you're working in IT and you know, you've already got qualifications and so on from, from another country, you're coming in. If you were going on the um, an employer-sponsored pathway, you would be able to validate your skills without having an assessment offered with that particular type of occupation. The different legislative instruments will determine whether or not you're required to go and have a skills assessment. When it comes to the general skilled migration, though, and putting in your expression of interest, you need to have already had your skills positively assessed, and it's a requirement. Uh, and that there is some case law where some people, because a skills assessment is only valid for a certain period, um, and then it expires and you need to get it renewed. So for some people, they have these expressions of interest lodged, they had done the, um, the skills assessment prior to, but while the expression of interest was sitting and they're waiting and waiting to see if they get an invitation, that skills assessment period had expired. So there is case law now saying that you have 60 days to get that renewed. That's separate to what I'm talking about. You need to have had your skills positively assessed already, at least at one point. Um, so you can't go and submit, and at that time you submit with something that um, either you haven't had your skills assessed or you've submitted it but they haven't made a decision on it. Um, or 
you know, it, it already had expired before you lodged the expression of interest. So really important to understand what documents, what assessments and so on, looking at the expiry dates because things like English tests and skills assessments um, and police clearances in particular all have um, time periods for how long they're valid for an expiry. And this is the kind of thing that a professional will be looking at for you. But if you're doing your own research to understand, um, and even if you do um, engage professional assistance with your applications, it's good to be aware of what's happening with your case and, and what they're doing and keeping an eye on things yourself. Finally, uh, on that, as I said, really important to do because if you're sitting in your waiting and, and relying on these visa decisions, um, you don't want to end up in a situation where you're then, you know, on bridging visas or needing to make arrangements to leave the country just to lodge a fresh application. And of course, that will be on your immigration record in Australia. Um, so always good to make sure that you've checked all of those things. And that's why it's really important to understand what documents are required at what point of the process. Um, some you can submit later. Some are what are a um, time of application requirement. And the last common question that I want to cover off that everyone wants to know, how long will it take? <laughs> and I wish, I really truly wish there was a simple answer. Um, the Immigration Department, or sorry, the Department of Home Affairs, as it's uh, now known in Australia, they do have something on their website which talks about processing time. But just to be aware, because they're, during COVID in particular, but also for many years, quite a backlog was created with different uh, visas. Uh, and because of that, the processing times that are on the website, it's not able to be um, accurately reflected because there's no clear algorithm or, or pattern at this particular point in time. And the other thing is right now, the Australian government has been working, uh, they gave direction to the department, they've recruited more visa decision makers, training them, implementing it. They gave certain prioritisations to try and make sure we were getting in the, the flow of the right kind of skilled migrants that we needed. And that meant that they were processing backlog at the same time as prioritising people who needed to be here. So it's not really an even queue. It will depend on your, your skills and the type of visa and so on as to where it gets prioritised. And, you know, for some people they had applied a number of years ago and they're for visa subclasses that don't exist anymore. So whilst their applications can still be processed and they can still be assessed for that visa, um, it means that there's other visas that are now a priority where they do need the people here. So I know that can be a little bit hard and a little bit frustrating for people who have lodged, but I just wanted to give some context as to why those processing times and what you see online can be a bit thrown out. So you understand, I think I've, I've spoke about this in a, a previous episode. Last year, there was something called Ministerial Direction 100. So the minister uh, has powers under the Migration Act in Australia um, to give certain directions. This particular direction is one that actually directs the department for 
which types of visas they want prioritised and in which order. So I had mentioned um, previously, uh, number one is health professionals and education professionals. So if there are visa applications for people who have those skills, they will be given the highest priority. And also within the state and territory nomination program or with the general skilled uh, nomination that is run federally as well, um, the independent skilled, uh, those particular expressions of interest also at the same time are given that same level of priority before invitations are given out and then prioritising the visa process. So just to remind people that has two stages to it. So if you're looking at general skilled migration, see that you've got the points, you put in your expression of interest, either with the skilled independent or one of the um, state nominated programs, and then you need to wait for an invitation from that program, then you can lodge your visa application. And those invitations happen in rounds. Because they happen in rounds, this is another thing when you're thinking about processing, when you're putting an expression of interest in, that's not a visa application. That is simply saying, I meet your, your, um, your points requirements. I have um, checked and I have uh, skills that are on your skill list because each of those um, programs will have um, particular occupations. Um, and then you need to wait for an invitation. Those invitations happen in rounds, usually once, like once every three months or so, but there's no guarantees it's not set. So we don't have specific dates that we can forecast to, to let you know. Um, and also at the same time, once you've put that expression of interest in, there is no mechanism to, you know, ask for feedback as to where that expression of interest is up to, where it's being assessed. There is, you just sort of need to, it needs to be submitted and you need to be patient. You need to be aware, first of all, you know, do you have skills that are high on that priority list? Um, the department also publishes how many invitations have been given out um, for specific occupations. So you can look and say, you know, have they given out, um, you know, lots of invitations already to my occupation? That may give you an indication that potentially you'll be waiting till the next round because all the invitations that they were going to allocate for that occupation may have already gone out. This is where those kind of processing things come into play. Uh, next would be, as I said, the visa application. So after you've received an invitation, you put in your visa application. The department will be prioritising how they process according to those different um, occupations as well. So if you are a health professional, or you are an education professional, those uh, applications will be processed as a priority. After that, uh, there are other skills which will come next. Um, then it sort of goes down to looking at the other family streams and then humanitarian visas after that. So that's the order of, pro, um, of processing and that's why it's very difficult to give um, answers to, to people uh, for how long it takes. Uh, you can look at, though, 
you know, if you are coming through a skilled pathway and you have all of your documents in order, you are going to have faster processes. Anecdotally, we are seeing people who are health and education professionals. Once you've had your uh, assessments and everything, you've submitted your expression of interest, they're being um, taken up quite quickly. Uh, and then the turnaround for the visa application process, again, quite quickly, uh, sort of in a matter of weeks. You do need to be aware, though, there's going to be lead time. You're getting skills assessments done. Those skills assessments, because there's such a volume of them happening, can take up to 12 weeks um, to, to be finalised. So there's a bit of time in getting that done. Um, then you're obviously putting in your expression of interest and you're waiting to wait for that invitation. If you don't get in the first round, you might need to wait for another round. Um, and so that's how you can kind of map out the time. Now, when we talk about the um, employer-sponsored uh, streams, um, the differences with the processing, something that you may not be aware of, um, so the first part, as I've explained in pre previous episodes, you need to have an employer who then becomes an approved sponsor. So once they have been an approved sponsor, they will then need to go through labour market testing and to nominate you for that occupation. Once that has been approved, then you can submit your visa application. And depending on your occupation, it will depend on how it's given priority. Um, one little tip though, in terms of how fast the applications are processed for those uh, employer sponsored, if you have uh, an employer who has an approved sponsorship, who then becomes an accredited sponsor, those visa applications tied to an accredited sponsor are also going to be processed faster. So these are kind of the little tips to understand all of the different nuances and how um, the different processing uh, times can be affected. So a lot to, to understand, um, and I, I hope that that's made, made sense and given you a little bit of clarity. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Really appreciate the time that you've given. Um, and I really would love it if you would drop in the comments other things that you would like to learn about for uh, making Australian migration easy. Today we covered off some of the burning questions for you and that was decide, like, how do you decide which visa you should apply for and at which point? And then framing that with, you know, really examining uh, what your ultimate goals are with, in terms of coming to Australia. And then I gave a bit more of an overview on the importance of what types of documents are required and what time um, of the application process, whether it's at the time of lodgement or whether or not you can submit them later. And we talked a little bit about the importance of that and, and why that can also impact your migration pathway in Australia. And then finally, I answered in the best way that I could some of the things to understand about how long it takes um, to go through the migration process um, and what are some of the, I guess, stepping stones that you need to be aware of to take into account um, when you're trying to understand the, the length of time that it will take, the various steps. 
So thank you so much for joining us. Please do like, share and subscribe. Um, I, I really would love to hear from all of you what you think of the show so far, what else you'd like to hear. And if you would like to start planning your migration pathway with some professional advice, please, I would love to offer you guys a $50 discount. So $50 off your first consultation. And to do that, you just need to go to our website, which is www.solvimigration.com.au. That's solvimigration.com.au. You click to book a consultation. And when you're entering your details for the payment at the end, it will ask for a redeem code. And this is the code that you need to enter to get $50 off. It's 50OFF. That's 50 off, and you'll receive $50 off your first consultation. That consultation will help map out all of those things that you've said, give you some really clear written advice uh, that you can keep, uh, and you will be able to continue to plan your migration pathway with informed uh, advice. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Making Australian Migration Easy with me, your host, Rhea Favole. If you're ready to get started on your pathway to Australia, you can book a consultation on our website, solvimigration.com.au. That's solvimigration.com.au. If you've enjoyed the show and have learned a thing or two, please share, rate and review our podcast. Your feedback means the world to us as we try and let more people know the best way to study and work in Australia in a way that sets them up for long-term success. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you later.